0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. We are on week seven of our sermon series, People of the Spirits, or POTS for short, and I hope this uh, last a few teachings that we did, we did six all together, has been beneficial, that it's really spoken to you, and uh, actually, especially spoken into uh, this time that we're living in. Uh, the vision for a series really is for us to be a people uh, of a different spirit, to model, to embody the traits of Jesus in our world where we see much... Of the world gravitating to their own selfish desires uh, stuff like instant gratification and satisfaction we as the people of God walk in a different spirit the Spirit of Christ and you know even as we read through uh, Galatians chapter 5 and read of this list of attributes that Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit let us be reminded today that it is the fruit of the spirit that it is not a byproduct of our effort is pure effort won't get us to that point we need the spirit's help we need the spirit to birth uh, these attributes in us even as we co-labor with him and so let's be reminded this morning even as we dive in to another attribute of the fruit of the spirit that we need the spirit's help and by god's grace we have the spirit's help In this time and in our lives. And so uh, let let me read over you a couple of the teaching passages this morning, and uh, we're going to enter into a short time of prayer and I'll begin uh, the word. Reading to you this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says this in God's Word Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Reading also from Titus chapter 3, verse 4 to 5. But when the kindness and love of god our savior appeared he saved us not because of righteous things we had done but because of his mercy for this morning i'll be speaking to you on the subject of an embodied kindness embodied kindness let's begin with a word of prayer father we thank you for this day it is indeed the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it Regardless of whatever circumstance you may be facing today, whatever troubles we might be contending with, the weight, the burdens that might be on our shoulders, Lord, we choose to lay aside every weight in order to rejoice. God, you are worthy to be praised. And this morning, we choose to enter into your courts with thanksgiving and praise on our lips and in our hearts. And God, we pray even as we enter into your presence this morning and read of your word, God, we pray that you speak to us in a fresh, new way. God, I thank you that lives are not transformed by the eloquence of preaching or the depth of research, but they're transformed by your spirit. So, Spirit of God, we invite you to come. Come like the wind. Come like fire. Come into our households, into our rooms in this moment. Cause your tangible presence to be felt. But every person was hearing uh, these words. God, we pray that you touch us, that you meet us, that you speak to us only, only like you can, only as you can. We give room to you. We ask that you come and have your way. We lean into you this morning. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. And embodied kindness, embodied kindness. And this is the attribute of the fruit of spirit that we're talking about this morning kindness. Now, some of you might be wondering, right, kindness, such a simple, intuitive message, right, or it almost doesn't beg to be covered uh, in this time. Why are we even talking about kindness, right? It's not as though we live in a world that is void of kindness, or rather no one would disagree or have any strong objections or need more uh, convincing that we need more kindness and not less of it in our world today. And it's true, right? We've seen uh, extraordinary acts of kindness in this time, in this uh, kind of crucible moment where we're seeing pressure on every side. We're seeing, uh, of course, some bad emerging in this time, but we're also seeing a whole lot of good. We're seeing corporations uh, giving back. We're seeing the wealthy committing money to research. We're seeing individuals going out of their way to serve, to love, to give in this time. Perhaps even as I'm speaking right now, you have thoughts and uh, uh, you you are brought to mind of some of the kind acts, the kind deeds that you have done, that you have participated in recently, you know, thinking, man, I got this kindness thing down, this is something that I excel in, this is something I'm really good at. But I will argue to say that kindness is not as simple or intuitive as we might think of it to be. And to start off, you know, I would like to start off with a question for you this morning, even as I begin uh, diving into God's Word shortly the question is this, would you identify personally as being a kind person? Will you identify as being a kind person? Is one of your dominant personality traits that of kindness? As you consider who you are this morning, the fabric of your being, think of moments when you were under pressure, opposition, when there was offense laid before you. Did kindness rise to the surface? what you identify as being a kind person, a person of kindness. Now, the reason why I phrase the question in that manner is because we often equate a person's kindness to the frequency and the magnitude of their kind deeds, don't we, right? Person volunteers here, person gives there, person does kind things therefore the person is kind and rightly so right it it, it it is something worth celebrating when a person commits time effort energy to doing kind deeds but it's also in our culture today that we have a kind of surface kindness don't we right that looks like niceness politeness or even tolerance you know i once visited uh, Atlanta in the US and it is uh, in the South and the South is known for something called Southern hospitality and I kid you not everywhere I went be it uh, to a uh, Popeye's or to the gas station or to the hotel wherever I went people who saw me the, the, the ladies who saw me would call me honey sweetie i believe if amy was there she would have punched them out but they would, have go, they would say honey sweetie and it was so hospitable nice and polite and it seemed like it was it was a really kind atmosphere but we all know that that kind of kindness is a surface kindness that doesn't necessarily translate to a deep reality of the heart while all of that is good surface kindness politeness volunteering giving back Politeness, sometimes even tolerance it's something worth celebrating but we often stop short of what it actually means to be kind as defined by scripture the greek word used to describe kindness in galatians chapter 5 would suggest that it isn't something we simply do as a kind of activity but rather it is a trait that we are to grow to embody michael chapter 6 verse 8 says this but he has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. In some translations, it says to love mercy, but in this translation, it says to love kindness. Now we have done work on this passage before, and we talk about justice uh, as it pertains to not just doing uh, justice acts, not. Uh, just doing justice but in order to uh, fully capture what it means to do justice we have to participate in acts against injustice but we ought to also live justly right to not participate in cycles or in actions or in activities that perpetuate cycles of injustice. And so it's a both end. It is an action where we participate against injustice, but it's also a kind of refraining where we pull back and withhold ourselves from participating in injustice. And that is what it means to embody justice. And in the same way, that's how we ought to view kindness, right? We are to love Kindness to not just do it on occasion, to not just participate in it as a kind of activity, but we are to seek to embody kindness as a kind of lifestyle, right? In various situations, in offense, in trial, in circumstance, what uh, permeates out of our body, what permeates in our interactions, in our words and our deeds, is that of kindness, and that is the kind of kindness that Scripture is calling all of us to do. To embody kindness. Because biblical kindness is not just an activity. It's a lens to which we view the world and people. It's how we respond in times of pressure. It is the nature of our words behind closed doors. It is a sincere heart that desires good toward all men all the time. That is the God kind of kindness. A few definitions of biblical kindness to kick us off. Jerry Bridges says this, Kindness is the inner disposition created by the Holy Spirit that causes us to be sensitive to the needs of others, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual. Maxidunum, the writers of Scripture define kindness as the virtue of the person whose neighbor's good is as dear as his own. Phil Riken, the best way for us to understand kindness is to see it in the character of God, whose love is always ready enhance the lives of others and so I take us back to that first question do you identify for the most part as being a kind person because I certainly don't I do kind things I do kind deeds I act kindly in front of people but I I can't bring myself to say that for the most part I am a kind person because I know how I react behind closed doors, I know the thoughts in my head, I know the deeds I wish to commit against people. I am not kind, but I wish to be kind. And the great news of Galatians chapter 5 is that we get to walk with the Spirit and through intermercy, through abiding with God, He wants to form that deep trait of kindness within us. This is not something we can get through on our own, but through co-labor with the Spirit. He forms kindness in us. I want to cast a vision for your life that when we read off the fruit of the Spirit, we shouldn't read of it as a checklist that we have to endeavor to fulfill. But what Paul and through the Spirit is casting for us is a vision for how we can be transformed into a person of love through the Spirit. We can be kind because God enables us through His Spirit to be kind. And so we need the Spirit, we need His empowerment, and we need His grace in order to be kind. We can't do it on our own. And we also need the Spirit because of a few more reasons, right? We have a kind of fragile resolve, don't we? I remember when I was planning for the Justice Conference and we had a creation care tract. And when I was planning for it, I was reading of all the stats, the reports, hearing from the speakers. And man let me tell you for those few months i was mr environmental right i was drinking out of bamboo straws bring my own tupperware saying no to plastic all that good stuff well with the circuit breaker period and how often i've been calling in for delivery i am shocked appalled and honestly ashamed uh, of how much plastic i've accumulated and disposed because of this time and you know it kind of speaks into our resolve don't we right you know at at times you know we can be so passionate about something but over time you know where we have you know perhaps paid little to no attention to it that resolve gets weaker and weaker and weaker think about moments in time where you respond to the altar call and you say god i commit to changing i commit to transforming i commit to abandoning my old wicked ways But then you leave that altar call and revert back to the same old patterns the very next day. We have a kind of weak resolve. Our self-will is fragile to say the least. And that's why we need the Spirit's empowerment and grace. We cannot do this with our own self-effort. The other reason why we need the Spirit in our lives to work this fruit in us is because we are prone to self-serving tendencies, don't we? Right? In some sense, kindness today has almost become a kind of novelty Right in our culture, known for rudeness, self-seeking, self-promotion, self-centeredness. It is popular and well-regarded if you're seen and known for kind deeds, for kind actions. We talked about a Latin term uh, a few weeks ago called incubators, a few messages ago. And this describes a love that is turned in on oneself. Love is designed to go outward, to bless, to give, to serve. And incubators is when love is turned in on oneself. It becomes dysfunctional, a kind of warped uh, self-love. In an essence, right, what uh, Luther, Martin Luther, who came out of this term, was saying through this term is that self-love, right, can turn even the most noblest of pursuits into something of selfish ambition and personal gain. And if we were to think about it, right, there are times where we love people, where we do nice things for people, but we do it with a personal agenda, with uh, some desire to gain from that action, right? It could be to look good in front of others, or it could be even to appease a knowing sense of guilt within to ease one's conscience, even though the outward action may appear sacrificial it is fueled by an obsession of oneself of one's happiness and reputation let us consider the words of Paul when he says this in first Corinthians 13 love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud notice what is opposed to love to patience and kindness it isn't so much unkindness or meanness, or rudeness, but it is envy and boastfulness. Because here's the truth, it is hard to be kind to a person you view as competition. It's hard to be kind to a person you're consistently and continuously comparing yourself to. In a city like ours that is hyper-competitive, where work environments are more competitive than they've ever been before, we are growing to be a people who are increasingly unkind mean and rude because it's hard to be truly authentically kind to express agape love to those whom you view as a threat and the other thing is this no it is boastfulness boastfulness is opposed to true biblical kindness right? It is being proud, it is relishing and deriving personal satisfaction and gratification that is opposed to true biblical kindness. It's especially challenging for us in this time where we live in an age of shareability, where it is a hyper-public culture, where it's almost expected that you'll put your whole life on display. If you never, if you didn't post it, you didn't do it, right? If you uh, didn't post that you've been to the restaurant, you've never actually been to the restaurant. If you didn't post about your kind deed, you've never actually done it. Because why? how would people know? How would people applaud you for that kind deed? How would people celebrate your kindness? We are enamoured with this idea of transparency, aren't we? Right? You have a good day, you post. You do a good thing, you post. We are meant to be open, vulnerable, exposed even. We live in a world where we want everyone to see and know best it feels good doesn't it to inform others about how cool how blessed we are the great things we've done to contribute to our world but Jesus wants us in Matthew chapter 6 verse 1 he says this be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them if you do you will have no reward from your father in heaven such an apt warning appropriate warning for the times that we are living in is for us to realize that our desires no matter how pure we think we are are often tainted with selfish ambition with a desire to be applauded to be noticed for have of our efforts and the heart of kindness is that which shies away from applause and boasting it is done out of an overflow of god's love in our hearts not in pursuit for more or something else now it is hard to distinguish between the two us in a love that is pure and that is why we need the spirit to bring leadership to bring guidance to speak to us when our motives are out of sync we need the spirit his empowerment his grace his voice even as we endeavor to be truly authentically kind in this time the last reason for why we need the Spirit's empowerment in order to be kind is this. Our world is harsh and unkind, and we are formed by it. Our world, this world that we're living in, is harsh, it's unkind, and we are formed by it. You know, I think of the movie Mean Girls. I'm not sure how many of you have actually seen that movie Mean Girls. It's from 2004. I was 14 years old then. And the movie Mean Girls, if you're unfamiliar, is a movie about a homeschool girl who goes to high school for the first time. She's young, innocent and nerdy, and then at some point she joins a group called the Plastics and they wear short skirts, they hang out with boys, they gossip about teachers, they rip on everyone throughout the whole movie and they wear pink on Wednesdays. On Wednesdays we wear pink. And over time, what the movie shows us is that this nerdy homeschool girl who is impressionable begins to be formed by that toxic mean culture such that over time she becomes a mean girl herself hence the title mean girls now when i was in secondary school i was part of a cca called the boys brigade now this is a christian uniform group and we are as legit as ncc as mpcc we are legit. It is a real uniform group, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I remember that the CCA was somewhat of an obsession for me, right? I was enamored with like the amount of badges you could accumulate, I was enamored with the idea of like climbing ranks and gaining authority, but if I can be honest, my obsession really was revolved around this idea of getting more and more power because I saw that the seniors were able to command were able to yell and they were able to bully. And I craved for that kind of power. I wanted that power for myself because I saw how authority could be used to exercise one's will and I wanted that power. And we experienced some of that. Even as newer recruits, we were yelled at, we were scolded, the seniors were unkind, we were punished by them for all sorts of random things. Now, I remember a time where I was already promoted. I had two stripes. I remember I was a corporal. And I was conducting training for a newer batch of recruits. And there was this one recruit who uh, was really forgetful, you know, and he would uh, miss out on all sorts of things. I remember we had a morning parade one day and he came up to me and said, he forgot this tiny piece of uh, his uniform. It was a tiny little piece. You could barely even notice it. And I just lost it. I berated him. I insulted him. I was downright unkind. And I scored at the guy. And it was the first time in my life I ever made someone cry. Now, it's not something that I'm super-duper proud of, but at the same time, it felt good, if I can be honest. It felt good to have all those power, all that power to be able to inflict my will, my frustration on someone. It felt good, and it was a kind of dangerous good that I felt, and I never want to feel that way again. And what happened was, After that, you know, this guy who I scolded got promoted and he would go on to do the same thing to a newer batch of recruits. Now, I've since repented from my evil actions and I don't think I've made anyone cry in recent times. Now, the reason why I bring up this story is that I think this is a kind of microcosm or sampling of our culture at large. It is unkindness begetting unkindness from person to person, from generation to generation, that almost feels senseless, right? Where we would be mean and unkind to a person just because someone else did it to us. And it becomes a kind of cycle, a tradition that gets perpetuated over time till it becomes a dominant culture. And that's what we have in our world today, right? Critical, judgmental, harsh means suspicious for no real legitimate reason. Why do we go... T- So, in the supermarket, why do we go uh, obsessively blast our horns on the road? Why do we push and shove and make mean comments? We can't really isolate the reason why. Perhaps we too have been formed by a dominant culture, that of harshness and unkindness. Now, historically, Singaporeans, us, have not been known to be a kind and gracious people, right? That's why we have signs on the train calling for us to be courteous, to give up our seats. That's why in recent times we have the Singapore Kindness Movement. And I don't know if you remember Singer, the courtesy lion, calling for all of us to be courteous to one another. And we need these movements, these reminders, and these signs because as a society, we are prone to unkindness. We are prone to ungraciousness. We are prone to be unkind and mean, especially to people whom we do not know personally. With our frenetic pace of life, competitive work environments, and overall lack of margin, is there any wonder why we struggle with kindness, being kind as a people? It's precisely into this world that the Spirit wants to empower us to embody a kind of counter-cultural kindness. A kindness that is so unlike the way of the world. A kindness that isn't surface, superficial, or random acts, but one that is deep and embodied. Now the word for kindness in the Bible is the Greek word krestos. And interestingly, some scholars would argue that some of the early manuscripts will refer to the followers of Jesus, early followers of Jesus, not as Christians, but Christians, Christians, Christos, the kind people, the people of kindness. And that was what the early Christians were known for, extraordinary Kindness. They will take the dying, the abandoned off the streets, and will care for them. The distinctive quality of the people of God, the foundations of our rare faith, is that of extraordinary divine kindness. The word "crescendo" will also translate to being good, pleasant, useful, but it also refers to that which is opposed to harshness, to harshness. Now, most of us wouldn't think of ourselves as and an unkind person, right? We'll think of ourselves as maybe I'm on the fence, I'm not all the way kind, but I don't think I'm unkind. But we will admit to say, some of us, that we can be really harsh at times, critical, judgmental, quick-tempered, at times uncaring, that is harshness. I'd like to suggest to you that harshness is opposed to kindness. When we are harsh, we are unkind, we are operating off a different spirit. Now, as I mentioned earlier, our world is harsh and we are susceptible to be formed by it. But it isn't just living in a harsh world that forms our opinions and our interactions, but it is also our view of God. We don't think of God often as someone who is kind and patient. We think of him as harsh, as mean, as judgmental. And because of that, we don't think twice when we extend the same kind of harshness to other people. The atheist Richard Dawkins in the book The God Delusion writes this about His version, his idea of the God of the Old Testament, he says this, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, controlled fic, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, palestential, megalomaniac, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Now that is a tongue twister, but all that to say God is harsh and evil and unkind and unjust. And we have to know that the kindness that we are producing, this kindness that we are seeking after, is actually the kindness of God manifest through our personalities into our lives and the situations we find ourselves in. And so if we have a wrong view of God, that of harshness, we are going to project it onto other people. Exodus chapter 34 verse 6 talks about this interaction between Moses and God, and God in this interaction, is showing his glory, his nature, who he is to Moses. And he says this in the verse, that God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The first thing God wanted Moses to know about him, and the attribute that would frame his entire understanding of Yahweh, was that God yahweh his lord is compassionate and gracious it is kind and delights in showing mercy now i know right there are some challenging passages in the bible that depicts god's judgment and wrath and they are in there and i'm no in no way refuting them but those passages are always in response to evil and injustice they are a righteous and i believe a right response to these things As Mike Mike Bickle puts it, God's judgment is always aimed at anything that hinders love. But God's heart, even in wrath and judgment, is always sadness in having to pour out His wrath on a rebellious generation. His default is to be kind and to be gracious to His people. I'll give you some examples in scripture. In Jeremiah, we read this in Jeremiah thirty-one twenty. It's not Ephraim, my dear son, the child in whom I delight. Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. So even though God righteously has to judge evil and injustice, he still yearns and longs with fatherly compassion for his people. Hosea chapter 11 says this, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the bulls, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, talking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bend down to feed him. And I want you to see this, right? That God is not a vindictive, unforgiving bully, but he is a longing father, a wounded lover who relents to have to judge his people who turn their hearts away from him. Another passage that illustrates this is found in the book of Nehemiah, right? And is even in rebellion, God still loves and longs to express his compassion and grace. And read this in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17. They refuse to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked in their rebellion, appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Last passage, Joel chapter 2 Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Now, I know I just read a whole ton of scriptures over you, but I did so with a goal in mind, and that is this I want to make it so clear to you this morning that God is kind. God is kind, God is not harsh. He is not vindictive. He is not a bully. He is kind. God is kind. Think of the kindest, most benevolent person you can think of on planet Earth. God's kindness far exceeds the kindness of the Earth. God is not walking around with a disposition of anger and harshness. His default is steadfast, abiding, loving kindness. And now we have no excuse to be harsh because God is not harsh, and we have every reason to be kind, because God is kind. And this is summed up in some sense when you get to the New Testament, and it talks about Christ's coming. This is how uh, the revelation of Christ's coming, His salvation, is recorded in the book of Titus. It says this, but when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared. The whole gospel, the whole ministry of Jesus, the new covenant is summed up in that phrase. The kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared. Jesus is kindness embodied. He is kindness embodied. We read of him describing his heart in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. He, he gives us insight to who he is, to his heart, to the essence of his being. He says this about himself that I am gentle and lowly in heart. Take my yoke upon you, you'll find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. In one place in all of Scripture, the Son of God pulls back the veil and let us us peer into the core of who He is. And we are told that His heart is not demanding, that His heart is not exalted or dignified, that His heart is not angry, wrathful or judgmental. His heart is gentle, lowly and kind. We see that model in the life of Jesus, don't we? He is gentle, he is lowly, he is kind. Dan Auckland says this about Jesus. The cumulative testimony of the four gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. The lesson that we can draw from the accounts of God's kindness, Christ's kindness in the gospel, is that he is kind to all men. The ungrateful, the wicked, the utterly lost and hopeless, the rebellious, he gave them kindness without distinction. And if we are to be Christ-like, if we are to embody that divine trait which is kindness, we need to grow to be kind to all men. Because our natural incarnation is this, is right? to show kindness to only those from whom we have some kind of natural affinity. Think family, think friends, think likable people. But God shows kindness to those who are most despicable, the ungrateful and wicked. We think of Christ on the cross, even as he was crucified next to two thieves. Or some would think of them as political revolutionaries, men who were who wouldn't were stop at nothing, right? to get their political goals. They were violent, they were insurgents, they committed murder. As Christ was crucified among these two men, he turned to one as he came to him in repentance and promised and gave him and spoke eternal life into his being that today you will be with me in paradise. That is kindness. That is the kindness that we ought to embody, to seek, to live into. The Jesus kind of kindness isn't a transactional kindness. It is a transcendent kindness. It's not a kindness that demands reciprocation. It's not a kindness that is seeking after some kind of personal gain. But it's a kindness that is divine, that is transcendent, that is God-like, that is Christ-like. To close off, one of the most important and profound Old Testament accounts of this kindness is the story of David and Matthew Mephibosheth, which we read in 2 Samuel chapter 9 now David uh, in this story had uh, before that had made a promise to his best friend Jonathan that he would show kindness to his family should anything happen to him and we know that Jonathan dies a bloody battle dies in a bloody battle along his father King Saul who who persecuted so heavily persecuted David before he took his throne now as King David could have done what any king would have traditionally did right a king when he entered into uh, his his kingdom his rulership his throne would eliminate the entire bloodline of the previous king such that there would be no claim to his throne but david didn't do that right david didn't do the traditional th- thing he did the exact opposite he kept his covenant with his friend jonathan and showed kindness to jonathan's son mephibosheth and we see david's kindness and kind intentions in that entire chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 9, when David asked this question Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David found Mephibosheth and showed him great kindness and the highest of honors. And he gave him a seat even at his, at his table, he gave him uh, the inheritance of his family, he gave him his grandfather's land. And the story ends in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 13, and it says that Matthew Boshev lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. Now, this story illustrates to us God's kindness and how we ought to show others kindness and mercy because of the kindness and mercy that was first shown to us. We need to realize in this story that we are Matthew Boshev. We are Matthew Boshev. We are the ones who were at sin, who were at odds with God, who were enemies in His kingdom. And God, instead of uh, vengeance, instead of wrath, extended to us His kindness, His mercy. And He didn't just pardon us, He gave us a seat at His table. Today, we, like Matthew Boshev have been invited into a seat of honour to be seated with Christ. And when we realise how richly we've received of the kindness of God, we will be compelled to extend that same kindness to others. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, because he is kind, God is kind, to the ungrateful and wicked, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Now Paul gets to the heart of God's kindness in the book of Ephesians when he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And he goes on to say this in chapter 5, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We can be kind today because of God's loving kindness toward us as we follow and walk in his love and example. Last quote, Dane Otland says this, only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ, where we leave in our wake everywhere we go the aroma of heaven and die one day, having startled the world with glimpses of a divine kindness, too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. I love that. Glimpses of a divine kindness, to leave in our wake the aroma of Christ, a fragrant offering of sacrificial love wherever we go that points people to god and his kingdom and so this week as we close i want to call you to be kind i want to call you to be kind to not just do kind deeds to not just participate in a kind activity but to intentionally and purposefully seek to become a kind person to extend kindness beyond the realms of your familiarity to respond well in conflict intense situations, to be kind in a world that is harsh, that is competitive. And it's with purpose that I've crafted this message with really little practical steps and know-how because I believe the Spirit wants to speak to you and wants to form this fruit of kindness in you and is going to lead you and direct you all through the week as you find yourselves in various situations and conversations to give you the option, the opportunity to form kindness, to extend kindness, to be kind in the midst of harshness. Now three areas I'd like you to consider this week even as you endeavor to be kind is to be kind in your speech, to be kind in your deed and to be kind in your thoughts. In speech, to be kind and gracious in your speech, to not be rude, condescending or dismissive and this even extends to your social media pages to refrain from harsh criticisms online and believe that kindness can open doors and transform minds far more than a disembodied comment or tweet online. Don't just rant for a better world. Love your neighbor. Be a better neighbor. Practice kindness. Build bridges. Embody the gospel every day. We also should be kind in our deed. I love this definition of kindness. It is compassionate other directed generosity i want to encourage you to practice generosity especially with people that you aren't familiar with right because it's so easy for us to be kind to people we already know but how about we extend the boundaries the parameters of our kindness this week and be kind to strangers be kind to people we're not too familiar with or even be kind to people who have previously offended you or stepped on your toes to be kind even to People who may not necessarily reciprocate your kind of kindness because that puts you in a position where you grow, where you have to express biblical kindness, that which is not transactional. The last area to grow in is to be kind in our thought. It is to bridle any thought of ill will, comparison and competition in our minds to earnestly desire good even for those whom we are threatened by. These are three areas for us to consider how we may grow in kindness, in speech, in deed, and in thought. Christ didn't just win the victory of sin, death, and the grave. He won our hearts with his outrageous display of love and kindness. And so we can mirror and manifest the kindness of God through our daily actions. Now I think of that line from John the Baptist where he says that there's coming one who are so great that I'm not even worthy to uh, untie the sandals from his feet. And it's almost as though John is saying that, hey, you think I'm great? There's coming one who is far greater, whose greatness exceeds my greatness. And in many ways, we get to be the fragrance of Christ on the earth. We get to display, manifest, and mirror his kindness to a world such that it provokes the deep questions of their soul. Why, why is that kindness? Why are people so good, kind, and nice? And then in doing so, we get to point people to He who is truly kind. He who is altogether lovely. He who is altogether worthy. And so the love of Christ manifests through us this day as understanding in a culture of offense, reconciliation in a culture of outrage, humanity in a culture of issues, denial in a culture of fulfillment, listening in a culture of accusation, love in a culture of hate, kindness in a time of harshness and may we as the people of God be kind be merciful just as our father is merciful let me pray for you even as we close out this time now maybe you've been listening to this and I've been talking about God his kindness his mercy that is for us and perhaps you've never ever thought of God that way you've always thought of him as a distant vindictive angry wrathful god who is always on your case who can't wait to punish you to exact judgment and vengeance and sufferings on you but can i can tell you that that is not our god our god is kind He's loving his patient is for you and perhaps today you might be struggling with certain things and you have found it hard to seek god in this time can i tell you that god's kindness is waiting to meet you and it's in his kindness That we experience true repentance we don't enter into repentance and truly uh, change and are transformed because we fear or because we are intimidated by potential outrage no we are transformed and we truly repent when we know of god's kindness and his love that is for us so can i pray for you this morning for god's kindness to be felt wherever you're at and as we feel god's kindness as we are overwhelmed with his kindness we will be compelled to be kind to others around us as well let me pray for you this day father we thank you for your kindness this day your kindness that is for us your kindness that is not against us your kindness that is consistent all through scripture your kindness that was revealed in your son's coming your kindness that was revealed through your son's sacrifice on the cross your kindness that leads us to true repentance and God, I pray in this moment for whoever is listening, regardless of what they're going through, be it struggle, pain, or even seeking to overcome sin, God, I pray that we will all in this moment experience your kindness, your abiding presence. God, let your kindness, your love be felt by every person in this moment. And God, I pray Today, even as we feel your kindness and your love and are overwhelmed by you, O God, may we then be compelled with sincere compassion to extend that kindness to those around us. Father, we pray this week for opportunities to grow in kindness, for opportunities that we may be able to extend kindness to people around us. God, we also pray for opportunities to share of your love, to share the gospel, to share of the greatest act of kindness in all of human history to our friends, to our families, to our loved ones. God, we thank you for this day. May your kindness lead us in the days that are ahead. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.